0: So we go on our last take, we're going nuts, we're going crazy, and then about oh wow, four minutes later, from all directions, we have these local um, police or sheriffs, whatever they called, wearing their white uniforms. They come crashing in. Today on the podcast, I have Dale Restigini, a music video director that goes by the moniker Rage. He's directed hundreds of videos over the last decade for artists like Akon, Soldier Boy, and Lil Wayne. And Dale's story today is about a rock video he was directing in Australia. It's a story about stealing shots without permits, breaking into a locked government building, and getting chased by the police. So with that, I'll let Dale take it from here. Hey everybody, my name's Dale Rage Resteghini. I am here to talk about a music video that went really, really bad, really, really quick. Okay, so. It's 2003, and I've uh, just really started to pop-off in the world of music videos, doing a lot of hardcore metal videos. That being said, struggling with budgets is a never-ending issue. I don't care if you have $500 or $500 million. There's things that you always wanna do that are just gonna be above and beyond the budget, so. I was asked to do a $30,000 music video for a really good industrial metal band called Fear Factory. I was coming off, I think, uh, I think a few weeks of having like three or four videos on the Headbangers Ball a countdown. And so my name was like buzzing in a little circle. So they reached out. Hey, Dale, we need a video done in New York City on this state, 30 grand I'm like, OK, boom, let's go here, shoot it here, shoot it like this. And we were all in and we were about two weeks away from filming. And then I get a call from, I think, Christian from he was a singer of the band or was Raymond the drummer. Hey, Dale, I want to ask you a question. I'm like, OK, what's up? Hey, can we do this video in Australia? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Australia, uh, when? Uh, well, in two weeks. I'm like, oh, my God, how's it even happen? Australia in two weeks? So, of course, you know, me being me, I'm never the no guy. I'm like always the let's figure it out guy. Yeah, sure, we'll make it happen. They wanted to film it in Australia because Big Day Out is, like, one of the world's biggest festivals ever, like Guns N' Roses, Rihanna, Akon, uh, Kiss. Like, this is just the massive, massive festival that everybody wanted to be at. So, basically, I had 30 grand. I had to figure out how to get me and my crew to Australia, Perth, Australia, mind you. So when I said yes to Australia, I'm thinking it's like Sydney, one of the major cities. So it's on the other end of Australia. So I start looking up tickets and there are no direct flights to Perth, Australia that are less than $3,000. I'm like, well, I'm taking myself, my DP, my wife and producing partner Kim, an AC, and one other person. So that's five people that we're taking. So five times 3000 is half the budget, so that's not working. So the only way to get people there, we actually had to take the worst possible flights at Coach, basically landing in four different cities before getting to Perth. Mind you, this is in 2003, not so far after 9-11, so security at airports was at an all-time high. And we had to bring our own gear because renting and any country at that point in time was expensive, let alone a city like Perth, Australia, because there's nobody in 500 miles that has any kind of gear for this kind of production. So the one guy that did wanted to charge you so much money, it was just insane. It just made more sense to bring our camera, which is 35 millimeter camera, 35 millimeter film with us. So every time we were going through an airport, we were getting stopped, we were getting searched, we were getting our bags looked. So it was just a very cumbersome experience. So, um, I think the tickets ended up being like 900 bucks a piece. So, that was a hell of a lot better than $3,000 a piece. Then, we of course had hotels, we had gas, we had food, all that stuff. So, yeah, I wasn't gonna make a dime off this video, but hey, I'm filming in Australia. It's gonna be amazing. I see kangaroos, uh, I see koala bears, and do all kinds of amazing stuff in Australia with some really cool, cool bands. We finally get there. I see the band, and the band walks me through. Like, they bring me to a, a warehouse. And they said, yeah, so we were thinking this is where you'd shoot the video because we, we play Saturday before we're going to leave to go to the next... Wait, 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 wait. Shoot, here. It's literally a a metal box, a warehouse. Like, I could be filming in Brooklyn or Trenton, New Jersey. I, I literally felt sick. I'm like, we went through this entire mess and I'm losing all kinds of production value. I was going to be able to get in New York City because the money was going to be put in the screen, not towards travel. I said, guys, this, is, this has got to be a joke because I didn't come here to film in a friggin' to Australia to film in you know, a metal box. So they they heard me out and they say Okay, well listen, if you can find another location that's better than this and it's on the same day, then then let us know. So me and my DP we get we get in the car and we just go searching. I'm like, okay, what do we do? We're driving for like three hours all around and like inside of a forty mile radius. Of, of where the band is right now in Perth. And lo and behold, there was like this this moment. It was like it was like a magical feeling. I see like this dilapidated, massive building. And right behind it is the ocean. I, okay, this is amazing. What is this place? We get closer and we see that it's a government-owned power plant and it's a do not trespass. And of course, if anyone knows me, do not trespass is an invitation to like say, fuck that. So um, we, 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 we drive around and we try to find the access points and literally this thing has got three layers of chain link fence with all kinds of cameras that I wasn't sure if they were working or not working. But this place is buttoned up and there was like no way in. So as I'm looking at this, at this one possible entrance, I start to hear like some banging, like heavy like metal banging and hammers like a, a few hundred feet away. And then I, so I, I just go towards that sound and there are these two guys that are doing some kind of like remodeling for this building that they're, that they're tearing down next door. And they had these really thick Australian accents. What's up, mate? Um, we're trying to film next door. Do you guys know anything about it? Uh, well, you know, the government owns it and uh, you know, you really can't do anything, but hey, we're, we're hooligans. And I didn't know what they meant, but hooligans is like, I guess a, you know, a badge of honor where they basically would do what the fuck they want. So they said, follow us. And they had some bolt cutters that they pulled out of the trunk of the car. We walked over to the gate, they snapped the gate open, and we went inside and they acted like they owned the place and they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, so here you go, when you want to film? <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. So um, to jump forward, I'm like, okay, this is the fucking place, we gotta film, this is epic. And you, once you guys see the video, you, you, you'll understand. But I did have a couple of issues. I had no more money for lights because if I was, was going to rent any kind of lighting out there, if the cost here in the States would have been, you know, 200 bucks for the day, they wanted like $4,000. And on top of the $4,000, they wanted to charge you a burn fee, which we never heard of before, a burn fee. For every hour the you use the light, they were going to charge you an additional fee. The one big benefit of that particular space uh, was uh, they had these huge, massive, blown-out uh, concrete walls, and if we waited a certain amount of time for the sun to come down, we would have enough light so we could shoot on film. Because if we didn't have that light or it was overcast, we were kind of screwed because we would be really challenged in post to, to really get this thing, you know, from a visual standpoint to where it's really watchable. Jumping forward, uh, we, we go back, we tell the band we found a, a great location. Of course, I couldn't tell them and didn't tell them that this is a place that we don't have permit to. So... Day of the shoot where well I made sure to tell the band to to start 50 minutes after us so we could get there in time and use bolt cutters to chop through the three locks that kept anybody from entering. So they thought they thought they were just basically going into a normal video shoot, all access but you know meanwhile we you know basically the second they passed through those gateways we we closed the gates and we put our own locks in place. So uh, any security that could be driving by would see. okay, well, hey, it's, it's locked up, no one's in there. So the band gets in there, they start unloading the gear, and Raymond, who I love to death, as is an amazing drummer, started to you know bang on his drum, just testing his drum, like bang, bang, bang. And of course, the sound just echoes through the entire building and probably down a few blocks. So I'm scared the entire time that some security guy is gonna get to us before we even start filming. I'm more nervous in this set than I've been in my entire life. And I've been in some pretty horrible situations, both personally and professionally. But this was the all-time worst because I'm in another country. I broke into a government-owned facility. I've got no permit. I've, I've changed their locks. And I'm, and I'm shooting. And I, I, I can't imagine what would happen if we got caught. So, But hey, I'm a filmmaker. I need to get the shot, Right. So that's, that's what I was focused on. Fuck everything else. So this is also, we needed to have background, right? Free background. And this is in the MySpace days. So anybody not old enough to know what MySpace is, it was basically pre-Instagram, you know, uh, pre-Snapchat, pre-TikTok, pre-everything that is happening in the last five years of social media. So uh, MySpace was a way to communicate. It was a friend space. And so we were able to find a local that could help us wrangle together 300 Fear Factory fans. So we were able to, you know, guide them through like the back of the building by um, uh, using the shoreline of the beach and sneak in. So as these, as these fans start coming in, I'm, I'm realizing they're all high, they're all drunk. I'm like, this can go bad in so many ways. And so a lot of them, and again, you'll see in the video, they've managed to get up high on like these 8 to 10 foot concrete walls, which have like a lot of old rusted rebar hanging out of the sides and on the floor. And then there's like this really precarious like green liquid and puddles all over the place. I'm like, this is just, if somebody were to fall, like it could be bad. So I, I look past that for a moment and I get focused on the sun coming down and getting ready um, with my uh, DP and um, the crew. So we were able to finally start shooting. Um, I made sure like one last time before we started filming for 30 straight chaotic minutes that nobody's coming, right? So in between takes, I'm going back and forth to this one section of where we're at that that lets me see straight through to the very, past all three fences, but to the very first one which is about probably maybe a good football field away. meanwhile, I'm making sure that I'm getting close-ups, I'm getting wides, I'm getting cutaways. I mean, we're changing lenses really, really quick. We're changing mags really, really quick. This is like just fast and furious like I've never been in in my entire life. Um, At one point in time, I see a security guard. He stops. He gets out of his car. He goes and checks. (laughs) I'm watching this. He's, he's looking in the direction of the shoot, he gets in his walkie, he touches the padlock, and I'm like, oh my God, this is it. So now we're about to be fucked. I run back, I tell the hooligans who are there with us, helping us film this, and they're partying with all the locals, and I tell the band, hey, guys, this is our last take, then we gotta go. They're like, well, what's going on? I said, well, we broke into this place. They were speechless. So we go into our last take, we're going nuts, we're going crazy, and then about oh wow, four minutes later, from all directions, we have these local um, police or sheriffs, whatever they call, called, wearing their white uniforms. They come crashing in. It's like I feel like you know, it's like a heist that we've just been interrupted. You know, robbing a bank, and they come in with their with their guns and their and their their uh, their batons, and they everybody they got whistles. Everybody freeze! Everybody hold! And so all the kids, all the three four hundred people that, that are there, they they just scatter scattering like cockroaches, just trying to get away. Like, so it's, so me, my wife Kim, Rich, my DP, our uh, our AC and our our, um, PA, we all grab the camera equipment and the footage. Like I have four rolls of film under one arm, three and another, and I'm running through all these hot, sweaty bodies of people, are screaming in the screaming and the cops, I was able to see the hooligans really help us out. They're pointing to the cops like, no, they went this way. And we don't know anything. No, they went that way. It's like, who's on first? It was, it was like craziness. As I'm running to escape, my, my shin slams against a big cement step. And I immediately saw blood. I saw a bone. My flesh is left on the step. I slammed on my wrist which for two years after that video I couldn't do a push-up because my hand my wrist could not take the pain I had to do it on my fist because because that day I fucked my wrist up so bad it didn't heal for two full years So I'm in I'm dragging myself out the my DP's got the car ready Kim's in the car ready she's got some blood in her somewhere the PA's got some blood and we're all sweaty we're all hot people are running everywhere, we are able to escape uh, that location by some miracle. The band, they claim they didn't know anything and um, they got their stuff in a van and they took off. And so we all make our way back to the hotel and um, we hide for 24 hours until we can actually get onto our next flight. And Even when we were going through security, we were nervous that we were gonna get just get stopped because They could clearly they could they clearly at that point in time would have found out that there's Americans here in Perth filming a music video illegally, Uh, but fortunately we're able to escape I'm sure I'm missing a few beats here and there, but that's that's the 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 bottom line is I was hell-bent on making an epic music video and I wasn't gonna let circumstance prevent me from doing that so it goes to show you like if you really love what you do you are gonna do anything you can including risking getting arrested getting shot getting whatever you're gonna you're gonna make it happen and that's that's what I've been doing my entire life and I've been doing this for close to 25 26 27 years and I am still exactly the same way so there you go, everybody. So I hope you uh, in, enjoyed this conversation, enjoyed this, this music video that went bad but ended up becoming great because the video ended up debuting number one on um, Metal Trots Everywhere and got me a lot more work. So uh, that video was my worst day ever. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you, Dale, for coming on and sharing your worst day ever. And if you have a Worst Day Ever story and are interested in coming on the podcast and sharing it, head on over to WorstDayEver.com to learn more. And to make things easier, I've included the links in the show notes. Until next time, that's a wrap.